Our scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter, beginning with the 63rd verse. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you would bless it this morning and help me to proclaim these truths. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing with our foundational triads, and now we are moving into uh, the triad uh, regarding the Son of God. And so, God the Son here, uh, we are looking at this uh, issue today in regards to the deity of Christ. Now, one of the most theologically difficult truths is uh, that of the Trinity. And for most of us, this concept of God is not a big issue. We believe that there is some kind of supreme being. We look around creation and uh, it indicates that something had to make all of this. And we can grasp uh, this eternal truth, but when it comes to uh, where God came down to earth in the form of a man, while at the same time remaining in heaven, uh, this concept has boggled the minds of even the best theologians. And so I myself have had uh, kind of a mental hiccup when it comes to this issue, this concept. Because my reason and logic cannot come to terms with this idea. Because when we think of individuals, we think of them as a specific person, not three persons. And so, the Jewish council here that was questioning Jesus had this same reaction. They were so violently offended by Jesus and his statements that they began to tear their clothes apart, yelling blasphemy. You have blasphemed God. You have spoken ill against his name by declaring the things that you are proclaiming, proclaiming yourself to be equal to God. And so, many throughout history have tried to say here that Jesus was not claiming to be God in these statements. They say that he was not equal with the Father in his deity. And along with the chief priests, they would proclaim blasphemy as well. So what do we do when our minds will not accept the fact that Jesus is the third person of the Holy Trinity? What do we do when our minds uh, grapple with issues that are mysterious in the Bible? Well, what we do is we turn to those scriptures that we have determined to be the very word of God, that they are truth, that in them there is no error, and we look to find strength there. And so scattered throughout the Old and New Testament, there are many reasons that show us why this is the central doctrine of the Christian faith. And today we're going to be going kind of a fast-paced exposition of the doctrine of the deity of Christ here. And I've outlined four different ways that the Bible shows Jesus' deity, that he is God in the flesh. And so, four different reasons. First of all, the Bible calls him God. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1, 14 identifies who this Word is. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as from the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And so some cults will try to explain this differently, this verse that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, they'll say things like, uh, was a God. That's what he was proclaiming to be. This is what the Jehovah's Witnesses declare. And it's interesting in regard to the uh, statement there, that goes directly against the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so this would make no sense for John to highlight this, that he was a God. And so obviously Jesus was God, as is declared here in John 1.1. Other places that Jesus is called God, we see Thomas, when he finally sees Jesus after the resurrection. In John 20, verse 28, he falls down on his knees and says, My Lord and my God. Now, Jesus did not correct him here or redirect his worship there. And some would say, well, he was just kind of like saying a curse, like, oh my God. Well, but for a devout Jewish man in the presence of Christ to do this, to proclaim something like this is unheard of, especially with Jesus not even rebuking him. My favorite verse is in Acts 20, verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, now listen, which he obtained with his own blood. Do you catch that there? God obtained the church with his own blood. Now we know that God the Father is spirit, and so it must be talking about Jesus here, who obtained the church with his own blood. And notice there, the full trinity is in view. The Holy Spirit making them overseers, God obtaining with his own blood. And then there is Romans 9, 5, which says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. And then in Titus 2, 13, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, who's appearing in the clouds? Who's the one appearing as our Savior? Well, it's not God the Father, according to Revelation. It's Jesus who is coming down in the clouds to save us. Now, accusations of blasphemy, uh, we see this scattered throughout the scriptures as well, where people declare, well, he's blaspheming. People who knew what he was talking about, knew the sense of what he was, they were standing right there listening to him. Listen to Mark 2, 7. It says, what does this man, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming, who can forgive sins but God alone? And so the religious leaders right there, recognizing what he was saying, that he was declaring himself to be a forgiver of sins, which only God can do. Next we see that Jesus is God because of his role in creation. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through Jesus, and if he was not there, they would not have been made. That does not sound like an omnipotent God who needs a created being there in order to create something. No, he is part of that Godhead. The Bible states that in the beginning, God created. And so, was it God the Father or this created being Jesus? No, he wasn't a created being. He is part of that Godhead that was there creating also, we see this plural in Genesis 1.26, where it says, Let us make man in our own image. 
In the image, in his image, he made him male and female, he made them. And so who would he be talking to here? Let us make man in our image. Well, he's definitely not talking to the angels because the angels were not made in the image of God as we studied last month. Also, we see here that he receives worship, another reason that we proclaim that Jesus is God. Look at this law in Exodus 34, 14. It says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, declaring there shall be no other worship except towards God alone. And so, if the Jehovah's Witnesses are right, we still should not worship him, even if he is the Son of God. Revelation 5.8 says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. We know who the Lamb is, right? That's Jesus. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so the living creatures and the twenty-four elders are falling down before the Lamb in heaven, right before the throne. If there's any place that you don't want to worship something besides God alone, it's in heaven before the throne of God, right? And so they're here worshiping the Lamb. Another, another reason that we know that Jesus is God, and the final reason here, is that he claims the attributes of God. The first attribute of God that we look at today is e eternal existence. In Revelation 1.8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is, who is to come, the Almighty. Here, this is, John is talking to Jesus here. Jesus actually appears to him, and this is something that Jesus says to John. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so, similar, right, to Yahweh God in Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. So who is the first and the last? Is it Jesus or is it Jehovah God here in the Old Testament? Well, I would proclaim to you that it's both one and the same because they are the same God in two different persons there. Next, we see another attribute that Jesus proclaims himself to have, which is omnipresence. And this is a being who can be anywhere at once at one time. Matthew 28 here, um, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so he's going to the Father, and he says, I'm going to be with you. Now, how can he be with you? It's not like he's saying, well, I'm with you in spirit. You know, go out and get him or whatever. No, because later on in Matthew 18, 20, we see it says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Omnipresent. So, how many different gatherings around the world right now do you think of two or three more people are in his name this very morning? I would say at least thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of different gatherings in his name. And so how can he proclaim to be, I am there with you, if he's a limited, finite being like a human? Well, it's impossible, but it's not impossible for God, because God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. And so, we say this, don't we? Jesus is in our midst. He's here with us right now, this very moment. Similar to God the Father in Psalm 139, 8-10. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Anywhere that David went, God was going to be there right with him. And we know that for our lives too as well. God is with us all the time. Another eternal attribute here that we see is that there is eternal consistency, sameness. Hebrews 13, 8 about Jesus says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like God in Malachi 3, 6, For I, the Lord God, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And so created beings are always changing, changing our minds, changing our habits, changing our position, whatever, on, on certain things. Angels also changed their minds, changed their positions. Lucifer and the angels, they fell. They changed from one thought to another, from humbleness to pride, from uh, righteousness to sin. And even the good angels long to look into things uh, that are in the Word. Things about salvation. And so they go from a place of ignorance to a place of knowledge. That's a change that takes place. Another attribute of God that Jesus proclaims himself to have is that of judge. Throughout the Old Testament, God is the one who is bringing judgment on the earth. In Isaiah 33, 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. But notice in Revelation 22.12, we see that it's Jesus who's bringing judgment. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense, my judgment or payment, with me to repay everyone for what he has done. And so who's the judge? The God of the Old Testament or Jesus? Well, it's the same deity in a different person. And at the judgment, it's not the Father that we stand before, it's the but it's Jesus, and we see that in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so we stand before God, and he's presenting himself in the person of Christ. The next attribute we see here is that of the Redeemer. I think one of the most interesting Psalms here in is Psalm 49, 7 through 8. It says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price for his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never su suffice. So he's saying no one can pay for your life. And yet here Jesus is called our Redeemer in Galatians 4, 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so he must be more than a man. If no man can ransom another, he must be more than a man. Yes, he is. He's God in the flesh. Now, the question here is why this all matters. Why didn't God just create another being in order to take away our sins? It would really not have cost him nothing to do it. That's the reason why. It'd be like creating a robot to come and save us. But you know, the main reason is that God will not give his glory to another. He receives all the glory. That's why he himself came down to redeem us. He himself sacrificed. And we wonder how this must be, right? 
First, we must trust that the Bible is true and have faith that it will all become clear for us in eternity. And we must believe this to be saved. That's why it's so important to understand. You can't not believe that Jesus is God and be saved. You can't be like, well, I'm not sure, maybe. No, you have to believe it. Now, where do I have to believe that? Where does it say in the Bible I have to believe that Jesus is God to be saved? Acts 16.30-31 Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And so what does it mean to believe in someone? Well, first and foremost, it's to believe in who they are, or at least who they say they are. We believe in what they proclaim themselves to be. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, proclaimed himself to be God. In conclusion here, visions, dreams, and prophecies, if they are from God, are always meant to support Scripture. We are not to base our theology on them, but we can be encouraged uh, as we see these truths that match up with the Bible. A while back, I read a book entitled Heaven is for Real. And it's the account of a four-year-old boy who nearly died of a burst appendix. And how his dad, who's a pastor in Nebraska to this very day in the same church, and his mom, they faced the possibility of losing their son. And so this boy, Colton, he survived this incident, had a surgery, came out of it. But later he began reporting that he had seen things, angels and different things in heaven, amazing things. And so... To me, it's probably the most believable account that I've read of somebody that perhaps went to heaven. And there's biblical precedent for this. There were different ones who saw heavenly things. Paul uh, himself saw heavenly things. John here, the whole book of Revelation, is a vision from heaven. And so I want to just read a little excerpt of this, just in regard to um, the Trinity, okay? And in regard to this little boy, what he saw. Do you know that Jesus sits at the right or sits right next to God? Colton would not excitedly remember this kid's four. <laughs> Jesus' chair is right next to his dad's. That blew me away. There's no way a four-year-old knows that. It was another one of those moments when I thought he had to have seen this. I was pretty sure that he never even heard of the book of Hebrews, but there was one way to find out. Colton, which side of God's throne was Jesus sitting on? I asked. Colton climbed up on the bed and faced me on his knees. Well, pretend like you're in God's throne. Jesus sat right there, he said, pointing to my right side. The Hebrews passage flashed into my mind. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow, here was a rare case where I had tested Colton's memories against what the Bible says. And he passed without batting an eye. And where did you sit, Colton? I asked. They brought in a little chair for me, he said, smiling. I sat by God, the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God is in three persons, Dad? Yeah, I think I knew that one, son, I said and smiled. You know, many times our adult minds have a hard time uh, grasping things that little children take at face value. And maybe this is why Jesus said, Unless you change and become like a little child, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And Father God, we come before you today, 
And we thank you for this doctrine that we can trust in the one that we believe in, that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we place our trust in that knowledge. We believe in that this morning. And I pray that you'd strengthen our doubts when we have them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.